listening to KBOO Portland. Listening to Transpositive here on KBOO Community Radio. Um, my name is Emma, and I use she and her pronouns. And tonight we are here with a collection of um, really wonderful uh, spiritual, cultural, and faith leaders um, here in the Portland area. And we're going to be talking about the Transgender Day of Remembrance Interfaith Vigil. Uh, first, I'd like to introduce my co-hosts. I'd like to ask them to introduce themselves, and then we'll go around the room. I'll go first then. Um, my name is Jean Bryant, regular co-host. Um, she, her pronouns. And um, I am a follower of the Sweet Medicine Sundance Path. Um, Dear Tribe. All right, and I'm Nicolette. I use AM or they, them pronouns. Uh, I'm a regular co-host of Transpositive and uh, my personal spiritual path is I consider myself an eclectic pagan. And uh, tonight we're going to be honoring the dead. Um, there have been over 40 people murdered in the United States in the past year who, I, who are identified as transgender. Um, so we're going to be honoring those transgender people, mostly, uh, mostly people of color who were murdered in this country in the last year. Um, this is a very sad day, but it's also a necessary day to um, show that we need to continue to speak up for trans voices and to make this world a more welcoming and inclusive space for all transgender people. And uh, in, in light of that, we have um, a host of local faith leaders who are here, uh, faith, cultural, and um, religious leaders who are here tonight, who are going to be talking to us about their uh, faith, cultural, or religious traditions, and why their traditions uphold the fundamental dignity of trans and non-binary people. So I'd like to just do a quick go around and have everyone else in the room just introduce themselves, just say your name, uh, what tradition you're coming from, and your pronouns, and then we'll get into uh, talking with each person individually. So if we could, and I'd like to introduce Eli. Uh, thank you. My name is Eli Poor, and I'm currently serving as the intern minister at First Unitarian Church in Portland. And um, I'm a member of the trans community. I'm trans and non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. And my personal spiritual practices include uh, Unitarian Universalism, um, as well as Buddhist, uh, Sufi, and pagan traditions. Um, thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. And I'd like to introduce uh, Rabbi Ariel. Hello, Rabbi Ariel Stone. My pronouns are she and they. And my faith tradition is that of kind of a mix of progressive and deeply traditional uh, Jewish spirituality and mysticism. Thank you. Michaela? Yeah, hi. I'm Michaela McCormick. My pronouns are she, her, and I come out of the uh, Tibetan Buddhist tradition uh, mostly, and I was a teacher for many years uh, in the Shambhala Buddhist community. Um, in my screen, Allison. Hi, I'm Reverend Allison Miller, the new uh, senior minister at First Unitarian Church of Portland, and the practice, my lifelong practice has been Unitarian Universalism by way of an interfaith family, Jewish and Christian. 
and um, my pronouns are she, her. Thank you. And then next, Morgan. I am Morgan. I use they, them pronouns. I identify as agender, um, and I am a Taoist Unitarian witch. Thank you, and we have Lore. Hi, my name is Lore Brule. I'm a practicing Norse Gothi. I've been practicing for over 10 years in the East County, East Multnomah County, and East uh, Portland area. All right, next we'll go to Cassidy. Hi, I'm Cassidy. My pronouns are per, per, pers, or they, them, theirs. Um, I am a priestess in the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft, which is a modern um, pagan tradition. Um, Cassidy, do you want to tell us about how your spiritual tradition honors and upholds trans people? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, just first a little background about reclaiming, because a lot of people I think might not be familiar. Um, it's a non-hierarchical modern pagan religion that actually grew out of uh, goddess spirituality and anti-nuclear action in the 1980s. Um, so it's based really in eco-feminist spirituality and political activism. Uh, and having that kind of activist political thread through it has, um, has continued into, you know, conversations people are having now around gender and um, equality and that sort of thing. So it's it's been an important part of the tradition all the way through. Um, and then the, the one document that kind of defines reclaiming is our principles of unity, which in 2012 we actually amended to specifically be more inclusive of trans and gender non-conforming people. Um, and so just to read a, a small quote from that, um, our diverse practices and experiences of the divine weave a tapestry of many different threads. We include those who honor mysterious ones, goddesses and gods of myriad expressions, genders and states of being, remembering that mystery goes beyond form. Um, so that's kind of just uh, our that's our foundational document. So that was a way of making sure that um, trans inclusivity and gender inclusivity was a fundamental part of the tradition for everyone who was calling themselves a reclaiming witch. Um, and then I'm as I'm sure many of the other pagans on the call can speak to uh, in pagan mythology and deities, we have many examples of LGBTQ uh, figures. And personally, I work a lot with ancestors. So I like to think about um, the trans ancestors, since we know that trans people have existed through all of time. And all of us have trans ancestors, whether that's in our bloodline or our spiritual line that we can call on and uh, develop a relationship with. Um, so that's just a, f a few ways that we try to um, include and uplift uh, trans and non-binary pagans. Michaela, let's hear from you. Um, I would love to hear about your identity and your spiritual journey and how your spiritual beliefs uh, honor and uphold trans and non-binary people. Yeah, thank you, Nicolette. Um, I identify as a transgender woman. I began transitioning uh, late in my life, just about uh, 10 years ago, um, after um, being very aware when I was very, very young, uh, younger than five years old, that I was uh, uh, at the very least uh, something other than a boy. <laughs> Uh, but of course, everyone around me at a certain point uh, suppressed all of that, and uh, I uh, went underground for about 20 years and then began emerging. Um, my tradition, the Shambhala Buddhist tradition, is not particularly welcoming of trans and non-binary non people, and in my time in that community, I was uh, possibly the first person in that whole international community to uh, to come out 
as trans and challenge the community to uh, accept me and and us. Um, I I did have support from other people and uh, in the context of doing a lot of uh, workshops and teaching around uh, social liberation, inclusivity, uh, and in particular, uh, unraveling, rejecting, uh, uh, healing uh, racism. Um, and that, that work was um, the reason that I stayed in the Shambhala community as long as I did before it was revealed that our spiritual leader had spent years uh, abusing women and other people and uh, committing a lot of other unethical acts. And so I uh, ended up leaving the community a couple of years ago and uh, finding other teachers, particularly um, uh, people of color, from the Buddhist tradition and some indigenous traditions to be, keep uh, uh, learning um, about how to be in this world. Um, so um, I'm a kind of a freelancer now. I, I uh, led a, a group called Queer Dharma out of the Shambhala Center for many years, and that uh, dissolved in the process of the uh, revelations about our spiritual leader and the pandemic. Uh, So uh, I've spread my wings much more broadly since then. And uh, there have been some challenges about that, but it's also been uh, uh, quite rich. Laura, since you're back with us, we would ask you to express your you know, spiritual practices, um, philosophical connection to the community. Uh, So for the Norse path, uh, the philosophical connection to the trans community um, has always been in our, um, in our sacred texts. It's kind of got this dual nature Then in the sacred texts, there's a, you know, in the Eddas and the Havamal, there's the, um, a lot of things that are attested to uh, that are um, you know there are people that change shape there are men that give birth there are all, so many so many things that can be interpreted as as being pro-trans and being um, uplifting and inspirational to trans people and then you have the practice which uh, makes the work that I've been doing um, you know being a voice for trans Norse people um and and helping with counseling services and things but the uh uh so important because we what we see with the uh congregations a little bit is that there's a lot of pushback toward um away from uh, that even though there's no real basis for it in the in the text so um kind of answers that yeah there's yeah. kind of this weird dual nature to it but uh but we're, we're you know avid, that's why advocacy is so important yeah yeah not unique to any any practice yeah funny how that works right uh, rabbi ariel have we in introduced you as well thanks i've been introduced yes um please give us the perspective um, from your um, spiritual practice. I'm so glad to be back with this opportunity because to me, this is something that's incredibly central to my understanding of my Jewish spirituality and that which I share with the community that I'm privileged to be part of where we understand many different reflections of the divine in the world far beyond our ability to shoehorn them into uh, specific shapes or forms there's something especially in the more mystical aspects of judaism that encourages us to push the envelope and so at the very beginning of the sacred text in which we are told that the divine created us male and female, the mystics say, well, that must mean both. 
that must mean that all of us are expressing all of the different aspects that there's a polarity between that which is male and that which is female and there's an entire spectrum in between and every person finds their place somewhere on that spectrum and every single reflection of the divine in human form is therefore equally precious and equally holy because they are all part of that precious spectrum of divinity Uh oh thank you rabbi ariel and i just need to say that i've been in your presence several times and um from an empathetic or whatever um perceptive sense um i know i i mean i just totally know you're there and um from my own perspective um I have engaged in studying the Kabbalah and I appreciate that there is a uh, appreciation there. Thank you. You're so welcome, Jean, and it's good to see you again. Thank you. Um, you're listening to Transpositive here on KBOO Community Radio. This is our annual Transgender Day of Remembrance show. Um, we have on with us tonight a collection of spiritual leaders here in the Portland area, um, some of who are going to be participating in the Transgender Day of Remembrance Interfaith Vigil, which is happening at First Unitarian um, in downtown Portland um, on November 19th at 4 p.m. And uh, two of the people who are uh, participating in that event who are uh, hosting it this year um, are here with us tonight, and I'd like to introduce the first one. That's uh, Reverend Allison Miller, the um, senior, um, uh, the, the, the senior minister at First Unitarian. Uh, Reverend Allison, welcome to Transpositive. Thank you for uh, having me, and uh, we're delighted to really um, engage with not only um, the Trans Day of Remembrance, but also Trans Days of Visibility and Empowerment. A Unitarian Universalism, uh, the faith that I am a part of, has been involved in advocacy for trans and non-binary and genderqueer folks for over three decades. And we are a non-creedal faith, meaning that uh, many beliefs, but one religious community, but we do have a covenant that unites us. It was uh, seven principles and our congregation and many others have adopted an eighth principle. And our first and our eighth principle uh, really call us um, into service of love and liberation around a really solemn day like this where we're honoring um, the loss of such um, such incredible lights in the world. And our first principle is about that the individuals. It is about the inherent worth and dignity of every human being, of every gender identity. And our eighth principle, it calls us to dismantle racism and other oppressions and to build the beloved community. And I'm deeply conscious of how people who are the most vulnerable, and as you shared before, Emma, is that so often it's uh, trans women of color who are killed. And so our eighth principle calls us to speak out about that. Um, we talk about deeds, not creeds. And so, and actually religious freedom is a cherished value in our faith tradition. And too often, it is the religious right and conservatives who co-opt the narrative, an anti-trans narrative, putting forth uh, terrible anti-trans bills. And so we feel called to engage in the public square. But additionally, in our community square, uh, trans, non-binary, and genderqueer folks are a part of our community. And so uh, we also practice, uh, we have a, our whole lives is our um, sexuality uh, curriculum and um, 
our children as young as six, uh, then again, when they're in junior high, senior high, young adults, adults and el elders um, engage in a, a curriculum that includes um, non-heterosexist and um, affirming gender identity, affirming curriculum so that people can truly be fully who they are. And I think that calls us back to our first principle is that, you know, we are on a journey to try to embody a community where everyone can bring all of themselves. For if we can't bring all of ourselves, then we cannot truly touch the spirit in the same way. And so both within our communities and in the wider world, um, a day like this one is so important for us to honor and remember the precious lives that are lost and the precious lives that are here making a difference. Thank you. And um, also from First Unitarian, we have Eli, Eli Poor. Would you like to um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Eli, and um, your tradition? Yeah, thank you so much. And um, of course, um, Allison just um, elucidated um, quite a bit. So thank you for that. And so I actually am going to talk a little bit about my my own experience um, as a um, queer and um, emerging trans teenager um, within the UU tradition. So um, I grew up in uh, Texas in an area that was really imbued with these um, white nationalist conservative Christian values that um, we're um, we're seeing um, emerge and uh, become empowered, um, unfortunately, uh, once again, um, over these past few years. And um, I've lived in Texas um, up until recently uh, when I moved to Portland um, in August to begin my internship uh, at First Unitarian Church in Portland. And so my first experience with feeling the inclusivity of the Unitarian Universalist tradition came from a connection with a small church in Amarillo, Texas as a young queer punk teenager. And though I hadn't yet come to identify as trans, that identity was very much within me via a fascination with androgyny and with, um, um, with sort of um, the blending of, of of gender and a fascination with you know men's suits and suspenders and things like that, which I've I still very much have. <laughs> um, so while I didn't have the language yet, um, as many of us in the community can probably um, relate to, I, I I very much brought this identity along with me as well, and um, and I was embraced there. Uh, along with my crazy hair and clothes, playing the piano each week in church, which is something that I never thought would happen. And um, years later, <laughs> another thing I never thought would happen, I uh, entered a Unitarian, Unitarian Universalist seminary. And um, my identity as a trans non-binary person um, kind of coincided that experience. And so it it was something that I got to explore um, along with my um, education as, as a religious professional. And so I was particularly interested in exploring um, the ways that my faith tradition had supported my people, right? And so um, as Allison mentioned, um, we do have you know this great history um, going back to the 70s and 80s, we ordained um, our first transgender person in 1988. And um, in 2002, we had um, Reverend Sean Dennison, who was um, the first openly transgender person called to serve a congregation. Um, we have this uh, great, um, our whole lives, um, uh, sexuality education program that is very um, trans inclusive, gender inclusive, that's um, 
just outstanding. Um, additionally, we have um, a process of um, welcoming congregations, which um, is um, it's a process that congregations can opt to participate and and most do, and it it's a study process of learning and self-examination within the denomination regarding acceptance around the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities and allows the congregation to be certified as, as a welcoming congregation. So as a, as a sort of um, safe space. And this is a process that um, is um, need, it, it has to be renewed. And then um, as Reverend Allison mentioned, we have within our principles, um, the first of our eight principles is the belief in affirming and promoting the worth and dignity of all people. And for me, this is an active process. It doesn't say that we believe or that we aspire to, it says that we affirm and promote. And that means that we do the work. Um, we do the work. We affirm and promote the worth and dignity of all people, including trans people. And most recently, we have um, the eighth principle that Reverend Allison also mentioned, um, which many congregations have chosen to adopt. And that's a call to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. And for me, anti-oppressive work is the work of building liberation and it's spiritual work of the highest order and any injustice that keeps us from wholeness and impedes the recognition of holiness is a threat to all of us and as you use i believe that we believe and this is actually another part of our our principles we believe that we're part of an interconnected web and until all of us are free to live our lives in safety and to our fullest potential with our worth and dignity affirmed, we're incomplete. And these injustices are interconnected with one another, right? Racism with homophobia and with transphobia and with classism. We see this in the disproportionate violence and murder of black trans women. We see it in the disproportionate number of houseless trans folks. Um, and I think our charge as as faith leaders, as faith communities, as as spiritual beings is to challenge these injustices and continually affirm and uphold the holiness of those who are left out of those circles. So um, I um, I really believe that's. Um, you know that that's the work that that we're tasked to do. That that's the work of liberation, and um, um, I feel blessed to um, be doing that work with all of you. So. My my personal interpretation is that the closer that we are to a male female balance is closer to the unity. And I would be interested to hear um, Rabbi Ariel's perspective on that. Jean, it's been so meaningful to me to work with you in the past on this memorial ritual and light candles together. I appreciate the question and you know that I am a big fan of that idea that for me it is self-evident that all of us is a mix of everything. Jewish mysticism teaches us that from millennia ago and modern physics does the same. Modern chemistry does the same. We all partake of the very same stardust. We are all made of the same precious matter and spirit there is no difference between each, all of us, really. We're all temporary collections of molecules, blessedly aware of ourselves and each other for a short moment. So for myself and for the tradition that I come from, the question of the balance that you mentioned 
is an interesting one because it, for me, it changes from day to day. None of us is always the same person. None of us identifies the very same way every day, every month, every decade of our lives. We are in constant evolution, constant development of our sense of who and what and why we are. The mixture of what is male and female and what is both and what is neither and what is beyond is an ongoing discovery and an ongoing exhilaration that I'm excited to continue to explore with you, God willing, for many years to come. Thank you so much. I would next shift to um, Reverend uh, Miller, Allison. Um, it's the same basic observation and question. Uh, Unitarian Universalists uh, have been talking about our uh, likeness to God for a couple hundred uh, years. We talk about, we have a very positive orientation towards uh, human nature and what's possible. And so for us, uh, the fullness of gender expression is, is very important. Otherwise, we are either diminishing the nature of God or the fullness of humanity, which are a reflection of one another. Uh, we also look to wisdom and always have um, outside. We don't believe that uh, the revelation is sealed or that all truth was summed up in any books from thousands of years ago or even last week. We're always looking to science and nature and our experience. And so I think that our experience is one of uh, balance um, in our lives. I, I appreciate uh, what Rabbi Ariel said about how each of us over our lifetime or even on a given day might um, feel pulled uh, more one way or another. We all have uh, masculine and feminine uh, within us. And it's that is literally our experience. And um, also in the world, I mean, in the natural world, that's reflected. This idea of that, I would say I appreciate the idea of balance in the yin yang and that we need both. Um, and and reject the concept of the binary, which doesn't really exist in the natural world beyond uh, human beings either. We look to science, human experience, as well as the wisdom of ancient sacred texts. Thank you. Uh, I do have a question if we have time. Yeah, go ahead, Nicolette. Uh, so for the, the people here who identify as trans or non-binary, I'm curious if any of you feel your gender identity ties into your spiritual beliefs in any way, like. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, my gender identity uh, plays a massive pivotal role in my uh, spiritual identity and my spiritual journey. And, and they're, they're, I think they're intrinsically tied actually uh, because gender is one of those things that it is such a huge part of how we actualize ourselves, how our souls express themselves. Um, and so I think that to have it divorced from faith um, is is to deny, kind of going in what uh, several of the other leaders have said, um, but to divorce that from our concept of the divine is to shunt out the the fullness of what it what it means to be human what it means to be a person um especially a person of faith and so um yeah i think that it's it's educated me but it's also i don't think one could exist without the other yeah i can jump into that um question nicolette i i think that witchcraft often is actually a practice of honing ourselves and coming further and further into alignment with who we are um, so that our it, we can stand in our truth and then call on the truth of the universe. So for me, I think it definitely was intertwined. Um, 
I mean, everything in my life is intertwined with my spirituality, but, and then also um, for myself working with Sekhmet, who I consider to be a trans or non-binary deity who uh, appears either in the form of a human woman or a male lion. Um, and working with her through a process of just self-discovery and, and self-transformation uh, coincided with uh, un coming to that understanding of myself as being gender fluid. Um, so yeah, I think it, it can be very much intertwined and um, hopefully spirituality in whatever form leads us further into ourselves and further into our own truth. Yeah, I could add from the Buddhist perspective, uh, one of the central Buddhist teachings is that is that of non-separation. Um, gender is, is, as we all know, a, a social construct. It's a, another attempt uh, for by civ modern civilization to pigeonhole us, limit us. Um, as Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams says, uh, any attempt to limit your ability to love limits my ability to love. And to the extent that we separate ourselves from each other, from other forms of life, from one aspect of ourselves, from, from one aspect to another, we limit ourselves. And we limit our ability to love ourselves and each other. So to the extent that we can accept all of who we are in terms of gender and every other way, uh, we increase our ability to love. And that's the bottom line. Thanks. And um, Eli, I think you're going to have the last word for this segment of the show. Yeah, so um, thank you for that. Um, I definitely agree with and uh, can re resonate with a bit of what everyone has said and really appreciate this question. And, you know, similarly, um, <clears throat> I, I've found that um, I also can't um, separate my gender identity from my spirituality and, and identifying as non-binary and sort of interrogating um, binaries in general has led to um, a spiritual, a deeper spiritual understanding. Personally, just in across the board, looking at you know the binaries between um, right down to between human beings, between what's me and self and no self, and and um, and that's a pretty powerful pretty powerful thing um and not just looking beyond male and female but really looking at uh all of those seemingly oppositional um uh energies and um and digging deeper and going beyond them um it's definitely a powerful practice so thank you so what we're going to do now is um, we're going to be shifting over to Morgan. Um, so I am Morgan. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, this is my fifth year compiling an official list um, and my first year compiling it for Portland's Trans Day of Remembrance. Um, and I'm also pretty new to being out as an, an agender, non-binary person. Um, and the question I'm always asked is, why do you make the list? And I'll be honest, that question felt a lot more pointed when I identified as cis of why are you making the list? Um, and I mean, the answer is both really simple and you know a lifetime of complicated <laughs> answers. Um, I came out very young. I started being among trans people very young. Most of my partners have been trans. And so this type of violence started affecting me at a very young age. Um, and so then many years passed, I was raised Unitarian. Um, and actually part of the reason I stepped back from Unitarianism and part of the reason I came back is because to me, social justice and seeking justice for all is my spiritual path. And so 
when I came back and the eighth principle was being talked about, it was wonderful, but also the Unitarian Church in Seattle also became the home for Seattle's Trans Day of Remembrance celebration after my cohorts and I had left community college, which is where we started organizing it together. And so the first year that uh, we were organizing it, we were on a very tight time frame. We didn't realize that we didn't have everything together. And the reason I made the list was that no one else was doing it. And that doesn't seem like a real reason to keep doing it all of these years later, but at the same time, no one else is doing it. And so I'm gonna talk a little bit about my process in making the list and why my list is a little different and a little more complete um, just because I don't single source any names, but I've also made this a year long investment and process that's just really connected to my spiritual journey that I track these names all year. I track these cases all year. Um, and so this list has just become a really important part of how I process my own trans sorrow alongside my trans joy. Um, and I would really love to see us do something in the spring for Trans Day of Visibility. Um, but on that note, I am gonna uh, speak to the way I create this list before I begin saying their names. Um, Transgender Day of Remembrance was originally created to celebrate the lives of those who have suffered violent deaths as a direct result of transphobia. This has given rise to a number of discussions of what names we say and why. Here are a few key areas that I feel deserve to be highlighted. In general, suicides are not reported. This is both because of journalism ethics as well as a lack of reporting in general. Uh, suicide among transgender populations is a systemic epidemic, but because so few suicides are actually reported, and even when they are, people are misgendered and dead named, these names have not been included. Please consider learning more about groups that focus on this specific issue, such as Trans Lifeline and the Trevor Project. Uh, transgender individuals have long faced high levels of hostility, neglect, and malpractice in medical settings. This issue is twofold. Uh, transgender individuals often face barriers to healthcare and often turn to illegal or untested treatments in order to access gender affirming care. However, these numbers are nearly impossible to pin down and as such, those deaths resulting from medical complications have not been included. This is a US only list. While we have excellent reporting in some areas of the world, we see grave underreporting elsewhere. There were over 100 death, reported deaths in Brazil in 2022, where there is an epidemic of trans deaths, but also a strong network of activists providing us with these reports. There are no numbers out of nations such as Russia or China, or entire regions such as Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. Therefore, I encourage you to participate in the work activists are doing and say as many of these names as you can, while also recognizing the work that needs to be done on a global level. This year, the list is actually shorter than last year, but I want to be very clear. That does not mean that the epidemic of violence against transgender individuals has gotten better. It means we miss names and can only strive to do a better job of collecting this data in the future. There is generally about a two-week lapse between when a transgender person dies and when their own community gets that information. And we could cut down both on that time and the names we are not able to say through responsible journalism. As awareness of this issue goes up, so too will the need to bring awareness to why the numbers never match up to our lived reality. I strongly recommend seeking out the sources I utilize, including Human Rights Campaign, Trans Lives Matter, and Trans Murder Monitoring. This year, I will be saying names, age if known, location, and a few details about the case. Full trigger warnings ahead. This list is not created to sensationalize, but in order that we may uplift every one of these individuals with the dignity and respect that they deserve. Danielle Johnson, age 35, died November 7th, 2021 in Memphis, Tennessee. Danielle was found in a parking lot around 1 a.m. after a shooter left her and stole her car. While local law enforcement released several statements seeking the individual responsible, nearly all articles dead named and misgendered her, and there are no updates on if her killer was apprehended. 
Angel Nada, age 36, died November 11th, 2021 in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Angel was found dead in her home after police responded to a 911 call seeking a welfare check. While her case remains open with few leads, her death did lead to a number of local news stories focusing on how her dead naming and misgendering impacted the local community. Nikai David, age 33, died December 3rd, 2021 in Oakland, California. Nikai was found around 4 a.m. after police responded to reports of gunfire in the area. She died at the scene. Law enforcement has released statements that this was not a hate crime, but have not released any additional updates, including motives or persons of interest. Martina Caldera, age 38, died December 6, 2021 in Channelview, Texas. Martina was found dead near the I-10 overpass. Although initially thought to have been the victim of a motor vehicle accident, autopsy results showed her death was a homicide. Her birth family was highly supportive of her identity and combined with her chosen family, remember her as a joyful part of her community. Kayahona Stone, age 32, died December 28, 2021 in Indianapolis, Indiana. Kayahona was killed in a nightclub parking lot in Indianapolis while attempting to break up a fight. Kayahona was actively trying to create safe spaces for trans people, including providing safe housing in her own home and working with resource centers in Indianapolis. While police and media reports misgendered and deadnamed her, she died while in the company of many of her own community members who speak highly of her. Nikki Torrieta, age 31, died December 31st, 2021 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Nikki was found in her home on the last day of 2021, but her murder was not reported among the queer community until late January, 2022, due to media deadnaming. Emre Lege or Meira, age 21, died January 1st, 2022 in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania. Emre was found dead in the street at around 6 a.m. on New Year's Day. No suspects or motives have been named. Duval Princess, age 24, died January 2nd, 2022 in Jacksonville, Florida. Duval was found unresponsive in the parking lot of an apartment block. Her death is being investigated as a homicide. However, details from law enforcement have been extremely scarce. Duval had only recently started openly transitioning and is deeply missed by her loved ones. Matthew Angelo Spampinato, age 21, died February 9th, 2022 in Newcastle, Delaware. Matthew was killed while on his way to work. His coworkers, friends, and family remember him as a loving and caring spirit who is excited to be moving forward with his transition. No arrests have been made. Naomi Skinner, age 25, died February 12th, 2022 in Highland Park, Michigan. Naomi was killed by her boyfriend who has been charged with second degree murder. Cyprus Ramos, age 21, died February 13th, 2022 in Lubbock, Texas. Cyprus Ramos was found dead and a suspect has been charged with murder. Cyprus was a noted performer and trans advocate and it is believed she was killed following a drag show. Paloma Vasquez, age 29, died February 26th, 2022 in Houston, Texas. Paloma was found dead in her apartment. Due to dead naming and misgendering by law enforcement and the media, her community was not aware of her death for several months. She had immigrated to Texas from Latin America six months before her death. Brent Wood, age 31, died Mar March 3rd, 2022 in Seattle, Washington. Brent was found behind a drugstore on Capitol Hill. Police report that Brent, who identified as non-binary, did not have a permanent address, but staff and clients of Compass Housing Alliance in Pioneer Square report that Brent was an artistic and loving person who is deeply missed. Catherine Newhouse, age 19, died March 9th, 2022 in Canton, Georgia. Catherine was an Asian American autistic trans woman who grew up in Indiana before her family moved to Georgia earlier this year. She was killed by her father in their family home. Elise Mallory, age 31, died March 17th, 2022 in Evanston, Illinois. 
Elise was found on the shore of Lake Michigan. She had been missing for over two weeks. Elise was a highly active member of her local community, and her case sparked widespread search efforts. Law enforcement are treating the death as suspicious, and an investigation remains open. Tatiana LaBelle, or TT, age 33, died March 19, 2022, Chicago, Illinois. Tatiana's body was found after she had been missing for over two weeks, an autopsy ruled her death a homicide, and a case is still open. Kesha Webster, age 24, died March 26, 2022, in Jackson, Mississippi. Kesha's death is under investigation, with family telling the media it was a robbery homicide. Reports on this case have been sparse, being bored difficult through inconsistent gendering and dead naming. Mia Love Parker, age unknown, died April 1st, 2022 in Chester, Pennsylvania. Mia was killed while in her car, which was parked on a street in a residential area. A suspect has been identified and is being sought by police. Ariana Mitchell, age 17, died April 2nd, 2022 in Hampton, Virginia. Ariana was killed after intervening in a fight during a house party between a friend and the friend's boyfriend, who is now in custody. Fern Feather, age 29, died April 12, 2022 in Morristown, Vermont. Fern's body was found by the side of the road. An autopsy determined the cause of death was homicide, and a suspect has been apprehended. Ray Muscat, age 24. Four, died May 8th, 2022 in Independence Township, Michigan. Ray was killed by his girlfriend who was also trans. Ray is described as a loyal friend and employee with a contagious smile. Sasha Mason, age 45, died May 13th, 2022 in Zebulon, North Carolina. Sasha was killed during an armed robbery in her apartment. A suspect has been arrested. Nidra Sequence Morris, age 50, died May 14th, 2022 in Opalaka, Florida. Sequence was found up to 48 hours after her death. A police investigation remains open. Maddie Hoffman, age 47, died May 19th, 2022 in Man Malvern, Pennsylvania. Maddie was killed by police during a wellness check at their home. No internal investigation has been opened. Dee Dee Hall, age 47, died May 26, 2022 in Dallas, Texas. Dee Dee died in police custody soon after police restrained her. An internal investigation has been open, but few details have been made public. Chanelika Yella Dior Hemingway, or Sid, age 30, died May 31st, 2022 in Albany, New York. Chanelika's body was found in her apartment by police conducting a welfare check. Her death is being investigated as a homicide and a suspect is in custody. Paris Rich, age 25, died June 13, 2022 in San Diego, California. Paris was found dead in a hotel room. Police are investigating her death as a homicide but have not made details of her autopsy or any leads public. Paris hoped to become a stylist and is remembered as motivated and protective of her friends and family. Brazil Johnson, age 28, died June 15, 2022, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Brazil was found dead in an apartment. The circumstances leading up to the death are under investigation and cannot currently be verified, but the case is being treated as a homicide. Charmaine McClan, age 27, died June 21, 2022, in Gulfport, Mississippi. Chamaine was killed and her sister critically injured in their home. Law enforcement have apprehended a suspect. Chamaine was born and raised in Gulfport where she was an outspoken activist for her black trans community. Kitty Monroe, age unknown, died June 29th, 2022 in Memphis, Tennessee. Kitty was killed in her home after a domestic dispute. A suspect has been arrested. Cherry Bush, age 48, died July 6th, 2022 in Los Angeles, California. Cherry was killed by a man after he made disparaging comments about her perceived gender identity and sexual orientation. A suspect has been arrested and was charged with a hate crime over two weeks after their arrest. 
Despite reporting on Lisbodori as a hate crime, the media continued to misgender and deadname her. Jasper Aaron Lynch, age 26, died July 7th, 2022 in McLean, Virginia. Aaron was killed by police during a mental health crisis. An internal investigation has been closed with no findings made public. Martasia Richmond, age 30, died July 11th, 2022 in Chicago, Illinois. Martasia was found dead in a residence by police after they responded to a call about a domestic incident in the residence. Over a month after her murder, a former partner was charged with first degree murder. Toy Davis, age 34, died July 16, 2022 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Toy was found dead under suspicious circumstances. Few details have emerged about her death, but it is clear she was well-loved by family and friends with several fundraisers and vigils following her death. Keishio Chanel Geeter, age 26, died July 20th, 2022 in Augusta, Florida. Keishio was found in a hotel. A former partner has been charged with the crime. Camilla Marie Swan, or Didi, age 29, died July 25th, 2022 in Kansas City, Missouri. Camilla was killed after an altercation in an apartment block. Camilla was a notable sex work advocate and model whose community was shocked and saddened by this news. Hayden Nevada Davis, age 28, died July 25th, 2022 in Detroit, Michigan. Hayden's body was found wrapped in a blanket on a pavement. Due to dead naming by law enforcement, she was not identified for several weeks. The investigation is ongoing. Maricela Castro, age 39, died July 29th, 2022 in Houston, Texas. Maricela was killed while in her car and the killer then got into the car and drove away. She was pronounced dead at the scene. No arrests have been made. ACD Morrison, age 30, died August 21st, 2022 in Rapid City, South Dakota. AC, who identified as Two-Spirit, was killed under suspicious circumstances. A suspect has been identified, but there have been no public updates from law enforcement. Dee Dee Ricks, age 33, died August 7th, 2022 in Detroit, Michigan. Dee Dee Ricks was found unresponsive. A suspect is in police custody. Regina Allen, or Maya, age 35, died August 29th, 2022, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Maya was found by police and she was able to identify her killer before she died, who has since been charged with reckless homicide. Samaj Sincere Billings Leah, age 33, died September 21st, 2022, in Jacksonville, Florida. Samaj was found in a hotel parking lot. An investigation is still active. Tiffany Banks, age 25, died October 1st, 2022 in Miami, Florida. Tiffany was killed on Saturday, the 1st of October. Four days later, a man was arrested and charged with second degree murder. Very few details of this case have been made public at this time. She was buried under her dead name. The lament, the, the, the grieving of those who have passed. And um, I want to bring it back around to that before we close out. Um, that their, their deaths will not be in vain, that yeah. we will not allow them to be in vain that these deaths move us to action here, so. Thank, thank you both. All right, thank you. Bye. Great, thank you so much.
listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of